welcome to Strange Phenomena, the music of Kate Bush. I'm Cecily Link, and today we are going to be talking about track 11 on Kate Bush's debut album, The Kick Inside, called Them Heavy People. heavy song yeah some, i guess that's that's like deep i guess you could say it's pretty deep man that's so heavy. <laughs> by the way who do i have with me this week uh-huh. go on ahead and introduce yourself if you have, are coming back from your consciousness oh are oh, you coming out of your waking sleep honey because this is relevant I to the think song i might be returning i might be returning Let me are you focus. returning down to earth hum return to my body <laughs> okay yes i am your husband andrew here recording with you author of science fiction and adventure novels sometimes recorder of audiobook podcasts and one helping out your wife with her Kate Bush podcast. Yes. Yes. Exactly. And this, this, this podcast where we are talking about some really heavy subjects. I mm-hmm. believe we're going to start with world hunger. Then we'll move on <laughs> to the importance of uh, peace. You, you're, hitting, you're hitting me in a soft spot. You realize that? <laughs> yes. I, 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 I'm aware of that, but... You know, I'm coming to you at just the right time, and I'm going to take the opportunity to teach you what you need to know. Okay, yeah, wonderful teachers ready to teach me. I know it's inconvenient to talk about this right now, but... Yes, but I love the whirling of the dervishes. Well, you know, we did have to hide the cat in another room of your mind because he was purring too loud. Yeah, but now, but see, now I realize... Every one of us has a heaven inside. Do you have a heaven inside, honey? I would, except I've shut people out of my life, and I prefer it that way. Oh. Well, you are a little more antisocial than me. So this is the cadest is... song. No, no, I'm sorry. This is the <laughs> second cadest song on the album. What was the first one? I think the most Kate song is the one that we're going to talk about next. Uh, oh yes, room for the life in your womb. But that'll come next yes. week. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna but go first out we're focusing... and call this the second most Kate song on this album. Okay, so this song is "Them Heavy People," which is track number eleven. On Kate Bush's first album. This has some more information on it than some of the other songs from this album. For one thing, did you know that this was released as a single, but only in Japan? Um, I, I did not know this one in particular. I did mm-hmm. know that Kate was big in Japan on a few occasions. Yes, she was. Just like Alphaville, big in Japan. <laughs> but yes, this was released as a single... The Man with the Child in His Eyes was on the B-side, and this went to number three on the Japanese charts. Yes, two very different songs. Radically Who chose this? I'm, 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 I'm going to just go out there and say I like The Man with the Child in His Eyes better. No, I, I do too. Yes. But okay. I, I also do tend to like, you know, more of the weird... I, I would, I'd say more, I don't know, You, I can't go with my usual descriptions when we're talking about Kate Bush, because I can't say that I like the weird things, because it's all weird, and I, uh... Uh, yeah, and that's, and that, folks, is why we all love her, because she's a little different from everybody. I, yes, I am not at all complaining about oh, this I know. regard. So, uh, how about we go with the story behind the song first? Okay. You say it was a B-side. What else? Or, yeah, well, this was an A-side. Oh, I apologize. This, this was, was A-side. an A-side. This was released in Japan, and it reached number three on their charts. Woo. Also, a live version of this from 
the onstage EP that we've talked about before went to number 10 on the UK charts. Woo. And interesting, a little thing about the Japanese single is that there is a Seiko logo on the inserts backside, and that is the only product endorsement that Kate Bush has ever done. Now, do you know if that was specifically for the watches? Cause for Seiko, the watches. I, okay. Because, I, yeah. I mean, they're known in the U.S. mainly for their watches, but uh, mm -hmm. they are one of those megacorps that has lots of different subsets. She did a product endorsement for Seiko. She also did a commercial for them, and you can you can listen to a little bit of it here. We have many varieties of mood within us, but it's up to you to choose. Mitsukeo, Seiko and that is the only product endorsement that Kate Bush has ever done, which I find really, really interesting. Yeah, I'm actually looking at the ad now. Um, yeah, she advertising their watches, specifically uh, a gold-banded version. Mm-hmm. I know, it looks kind of cool and all, like, bling and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, this song... Wait, 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 wait. Well, you, you're about okay. to go off topic because okay. we still... While we're on the topic of this song being from Japan, mm -hmm. you showed me something <gasps> over dinner. Yes, I did. Okay. And I know usually you save this stuff for the covers and music videos and stuff, but I think that it, we should discuss it I agree. Here. Yes. Um, so about that <laughs> okay. Japanese television appearance. It was done on June 25th, 1978. She went to Japan to promote this song, and in probably the weirdest TV appearance that I have found of Kate Bush, which she goes, takes to say. which takes something to say, okay? Because we're talking about somebody who wasn't Mark, you know, she's not, you know, Britney Spears. She's not pop, pop, pop. Um, in this appearance, um, her song is played, but she does not sing. <laughs> she does not sing. Instead, the vocal duties go to these two Japanese ladies. and Who, I will say, they actually, actually might sing the song better than her. Not, well, but they not, put it in a different key, too. Okay, it's a different key. and, and I, Probably a more manageable key. <laughs> but, I mean, literally, I can understand them better than I can understand Kate. Well, that is true. I, and when we get to the lyrics part, like, there's one part where I was like, oh, that's what she was saying? What? I thought she was saying something completely different. Now, in this appearance, these two Japanese ladies sing the song. It's a completely different arrangement in a different key. One is dressed fa fairly, like, I would call it... Uh, Japanese pop star traditional like like uh, like like a very seventies eighties uh, power suit. Mm -hmm. uh, the other is I'd say almost trying to look like Kate because her mm -hmm. hair is done all puffy and she's got more English clothing. Mm -hmm. And they do sing very well, and I understand their lyrics better than when Kate sings. But then. But then, after they're done singing, suddenly the song arrangement goes into something that's like a cross between a mambo and a merengue. Kate comes out. Here, listen to a sample. So she comes out, she's dressed like spaghetti strap top, and she's got like huge bell bottoms. Yeah, I mean, this is totally something you it's, would try and get away yes. with. Yes, and, and it totally, like, you, you remember when I was watching this, I was going, oh, I love her outfit. And seriously, like, I love big bell bottomy pants. I can't help. So Kate comes out in this red jumpsuit with the 
biggest bell bottoms you've ever seen and she just starts disco dancing to this song while it looks like a dozen Japanese guys all dressed in black are doing stuff behind her. They're doing choreography. And she's just like doing this disco dancing for like a minute and a half until it finally ends and well you can hear the sample here. Yeah, and it's like, I'm left going. Uh, but, uh, and she doesn't sing. And she doesn't sing any of it. Not a bit. And she, like, what the heck? And this was clearly practiced. <laughs> and she's so energetic with the dancing. They clearly had staged this and choreographed it. And mm-hmm. she knew what she was doing. I don't know. It's, I don't know either. I, I really want to know if she was supposed to do, like, run through another sing along of it. But has she had a sore throat or, but you know, she's still fed up to doing the dancing or. Yeah, she was definitely fit to do the dancing. Or she just didn't, <laughs> for some reason, she wasn't supposed to sing. It, it confuses me. It was me. really weird. And I'm guessing they did, maybe your EMI, her record company had her, had Kate do this kind of promo because the song was a top five hit in Japan. I don't know, but it's just. Did she ever sing in any other Japanese TV appearances? She did. She went to Japan to promote moving. Huh. In that one, she sang live. Um, She was singing live with her hands, and um, presumably the microphone was in this huge, like, silky flower thing that she was wearing. And apparently, if you look close enough, you can see the mic in there. I couldn't say it because it was kind of grainy video. But then another time she showed up to sing and that's some on- covers. Uh, she sang a cover of The Long and Winding Road. And that's, and Moving is from the Kick Inside album. And she yeah, sang that was covers. the first song. I was just wondering if maybe it was a, like, like a licensing thing where, you know, they, she, certain payments would have had to been made internationally for her to perform on. Yeah. On, in, you know how they charge different prices for albums in different regions and things like that. Mm-hmm. But no, she she promoted th- another song on the same album, so that doesn't seem to make any sense. And so, if anyone yeah. out there has yeah, any sh- idea what's going on, now the title for the video says "Sound in S." I don't know if that was the name of the show or if it there or if it was the uploader saying, "Hey, sound is in stereo." I don't know. But it was June twenty third. I was wrong about the date. June twenty third, nineteen seventy eight. Kate Bush doing this thing in Japan. You can find it on YouTube. I'm going to link to it in the show notes so that people can see, okay, what is this thing that, you know, Cecily and her husband Andrew are going on about? Definitely one of the weirdest TV appearances, and and for Kate, that's saying a lot, that I've ever seen from her. So, so now that we've unloaded all that, let, yes. <laughs> what about the production of this song? Okay. Because so, it, it wasn't all just like a, a instrumental disco thing. No, which... it wasn't. No, the, the original song has this kind of reggae-ish vibe to it that makes me think a little bit of Kite. But I feel like this one, for some reason to me, is a little more successful in blending some of the you know, dun, 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 kind of reggae-ish vibe in the song. I don't know why. It, to me, it does just feels have a more... bit of a reggae feel to it. Because mm, like some of the way that the guitar is going, it's a It's a little more syncopated. A lot of syncopation here in reggae. Mm, yeah. Um, on this song, um, the guys from Pilot and the Alan Parsons Project, <laughs> David Patton and Ian Berenson, they played bass and guitar, respectively. They were members of Pilot, and we talked about them before because they played on Oh to Be in Love and many of the other songs. I can see you're grinning about something. <laughs> I, I'm specifically avoiding making the same joke. That I know, I did on the, the Alan Parsons project thing, yes. Um, but those guys played on the song and quite a bit of the, the album songs, actually. The drums were by Stuart Elliott, who was a famous session musician. 
Um, the backing vocals were done by Kate and her brother, Patty. And remind me again, is Patty her older brother or younger brother? Patty is her older brother. She had two older brothers. And Patty's the musician, the younger mm-hmm. one's the poet. Or the old, uh, second old, first oldest is Jay, and he's the poet. Oh, okay. She was, I want to I say there was at least a 10, maybe 15 year gap. Does she have a younger brother or am I missing? No, she's the last final oh, of three. Oh, okay. So See, Jay what is the was, oldest and he's mm-hmm. the poet, and then Patty is the musician, and then Kate is the other musician. Yeah, and Kate, uh, Jay and Patty are pretty close in age. Kate came around about 10 years later, probably like, oh, oops, maybe. <laughs> because her mom was almost 40 when she had Kate when and then Kate herself was 40 when she had her son Bertie I'm sorry Bertie not Bertie Bertie and my American tendency to take the T's and the words and D's just remember it's Betty Betty so those are the musicians playing on the song she's got a brother so this is not the first time and it definitely won't be the last time that (laughs) Patty contributes to his sister's music. And we talked about that in the episode for O to Be in Love, because he plays mandolin and offers up some background vocals on that song as well. So I see in your notes here, um, it's something about the live version. Mm-hmm. Now, are you, are you, so you're, you're saying that the, the key... The, that the, the keyboards were played by this guy only in the concert. <laughs> Kevin, Is that what you're saying? Yes, Kevin McAlley. I, want, I hope I'm pronouncing his name cor- correctly. Uh, M-C-A-L-E-A. He later went on to write the English lyrics. A whole lyrics. bunch of lyrics to a popular song. Yes, for 99 Left Balloons. He's the one that turned it into 99 Red Balloons. Later in 1984. And if that song's in your head now, I apologize. It's not my fault. I apologize. (laughs) Uh, My wife has me recording this in the evening after a long day. So I'm I'm maybe a little bit more giddy than usual. That's okay. (laughs) But we want this to be a fun atmosphere. Anyway, people come and listen to this. So he plays keyboards. The guitarist is Brian Bath, who played with Kate in the KT Bush Band when they were going around the different pubs in London before... She started recording the kick inside. The bass player is her boyfriend and will later become her engineer, um, Del Palmer. And the background vocals are done by Liz Pearson and Glenna Scroves. So those were the musicians playing with them on the live version. And the live version of Them Heavy People was released as a single, went to number 10 in the UK charts. And so that live version, is that from the Tour of Life? Mm-hmm, from okay. the Tour of Life. Although I should say here, at the time, her tour was just called the Kate Bush Tour. Oh, okay, I, I did not know but that. But over time, somehow people started calling it the Tour of Life. Other people have referred to it as the Lionheart Tour. So when I'm talking about Tour of Life... I'm just, I'm talking about the first tour that Kate Bush did, and I'm just, just to make things easier, I'm calling it Tour of Life because it can be known by so many different names. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm sure we'll dig into that on yeah. the special, because you're planning a special based yes, on that Yes, I am. Tour. By the way, speaking of her tour, if you went to see Kate Bush on her tour in 1979, I am going to be doing a special episode where I'm going to be talking with people who were actually there, their impressions, their memories, interesting little things about what was it like to be there and seeing her doing this wonderfully theatrical show. And so, hey, guess what? I wasn't there. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, even if you can't can't schedule mm -hmm. a time to talk to us on the phone, just, you know. Email. Yeah, just if you've got an if you've got an iPhone or you've got an Android phone, you've got a voice memos app on there. Just just ramble into your phone for 10 15 minutes telling us how you feel about this tour and what mm-hmm. you experienced and what your favorite moments were and send an email and we can help you get that file to Cecily exactly. cuz she would love to have Oh yes. Cuz I want to hear from people and how what they were like and also, this is this podcast is documenting history. Yeah, and so, if you can join us, like I said, even yeah. a phone call, we can record a phone call. Mm-hmm. We yep, would definitely. love that. So you can contact me kbcast at linkmedia.com. That's linked with an A. You can also find me on Twitter at strangekatecast, 
and on Facebook, facebook.com slash Kate Bush Podcast. I want to hear from you. Yay! We talked about the production, we talked about a little story behind the song and the really weird, trippy <laughs> TV appearance in Japan. We gotta now, get like, now. we gotta figure out what this song's about, man. It's so heavy. <laughs> so, um, what this song is about, I think... Bowling. Hmm? Okay. It's about bowling. No, honey. It's not. <laughs> Heavy things, rolling the ball. No, because actually now the rolling the ball part in the liner notes for the kick inside, she thanks David Gilmore for rolling the ball to her. And do we know specifically what that actually means? The idea is that you're being having people teach you things and they're rolling the ball of knowledge to you. They're helping you understand more of the world, um, and uh, and and so she she's indicated that David Gilmore gave her mm-hmm. some uh, assistance. Uh, I assume with you know with music. Yes, in fact, he's the one who discovered her because he was a friend of the family. He's the lead guitarist for Pink Floyd, and he's a friend of a friend of the family. He got a hold of her demos. He financed some studio time so that she could record. The saxophone song, The Man with the Child in His Eyes, and presumably one other song that only about a minute and a half of it is ever leaked, and it's something called Maybe? Well, I interpret this song as a, a, somebody expressing a desire to learn as much as possible about the world while you're still young. Oh, well, what, what, what examples do you have of that, of the, of the world? I mean, she... She talks about having teachers who arrived at an inconvenient time when she's hiding in a room in her mind. I mean, I, I can see that, that, uh, you know, when, when you are, I mean, I don't know how old Kate was when she wrote this, but when you're like 17 years old, you're in your own head. You, mm-hmm. you think that you've got it figured out or you know you don't have it figured out, but you're just trying to work it through yourself. And it can be, it can feel inconvenient when people show up and they're like, hey, let me challenge you with this idea or that idea or here's something completely out of left field that you might have never heard of. So, I mean, are there any particular lines that make you think that this is about learning about the world? Well, in the first line of the second verse, she says, they opened doorways that I thought were shut for good. Mm-hmm. And then they read me Gurdjieff and Jizu. They build up my body, break me emotionally. It's nearly killing me, but what a lovely feeling. Makes me think of somebody encountering new knowledge and new ways of thinking for the very first time and how it's changing you. Almost Mm -hmm. like, almost in a way, like the song Moving and how her experience of seeing Lindsay Kemp do this wonderful mime routine with flowers and he's not saying anything at all and how that experience really changed, changed Kate and how she wanted to express herself this song is also about learning and wanting to experience things, but on more of a spiritual level. Well, speaking of spiritual things, yeah, yes, they, yeah. they read me and Jesu. I mean, Jesu is kind of, is the obvious is a yeah. shortening of Jesus. Yeah, that's just another but, way of saying you know Jesus. But what's this Gurdjieff name? Okay, Gurdjieff. And, and, um, and does that have anything to do with like? earlier verses when she's talking about you know every one of us i can't sing like her every one of us has a heaven heaven inside inside. i must work on my mind i think it is a reference uh yeah the the, her mentioning 
Gurdjieff in the second verse goes back to the first verse talking about like finding your your own heaven and like very lots of spiritual mind sort of things. So Gurdjieff, his full name is George Ivanovich Gurdjieff. He was born between 1866 and 1877. We don't know exactly when he was born. It's not um, uncommon back then. Yeah, it's not uncommon back then. He, he was born in what is now Gyumri in Armenia, but at the time it was called Alexandropol. And basically he was an early 20th century mystic philosopher, spiritual teacher, and a composer, actually, of Armenian and Greek descent, if you couldn't tell from the name. <laughs> yeah, that name is very, uh, very Eastern European. This is from Wikipedia. And they said... Gurdjieff taught that most humans do not possess a unified mind-emotion-body-consciousness and thus live their lives in a state of hypnotic waking sleep, but that it is possible to transcend to a higher state of consciousness and achieve full human potential. Gurdjieff described a method attempting to do so calling the discipline the work, connoting work on oneself, or the method. According to his principles and instructions, Gurdjieff's method for awakening one's consciousness unites the method of the fakir, monk, or yogi, and thus he referred to it as the fourth way. Uh, new agey, basically. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in the, in the sense of new age. In the sense being that like the, it's we more are of a philosophy. To, and... you know, we're, we're going to take philosophies from mostly Asia and India, combine them with uh, post-enlightenment European thought and come up with our own take on religion. I mean, I've run into several groups like this. I mean, it, in a way, it kind of reminds me of... Uh, I'm sure adherents to them would say I'm completely far off and I apologize, but it, it kind of reminds me of someone from uh, our area. There was a guy named Edgar Cayce uh, who, uh, in the early 20th century... Uh, had a lot of thoughts of dreaming and transcendentalism and whatever and yeah he has a, there's a huge facility out in virginia beach that continues his teachings so mm -hmm. kind of I'm, I'm sure that they would say there are differences but it, it reminds me of that and something else about him because he mentioned the fourth way it says the fourth way addresses the question of humanity's place in the universe and the possibilities of inner development Makes sense in the context of the song. Yeah, adding him in there. It emphasizes that people ordinarily live in a state referred to as a semi-hypnotic waking sleep, while higher levels of consciousness, virtue, unity of will are possible. And that it basically teaches how to increase and focus attention and energy in various ways and to minimize daydreaming and absent-mindedness. This inner development of oneself is the beginning of a possible further process of change whose aim is to transform man into, quote, what he ought to be. It makes sense that she would refer, that Kate would refer to Gurdjieff in this song where it's all about trying to change yourself from within and reach your full potential. Plus, her brother and her dad were reading a lot of Gurdjieff's works. So she heard them philosophizing and talking about this at the dinner. I can imagine that dinner time at their place was probably really interesting to listen to. <laughs> her family strikes me as a family that wasn't afraid to... Talk about deep matters, including, hey, let's talk about this Armenian Greek dude who thought up these philosophies of trans transcending human existence. Yeah. Their dinner tables must have been really cool. <laughs> they probably just, they didn't sit around going, so, that rain that we keep getting. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you see, the rain reminds me of the way in which our souls have been broken into the pieces by the fragmentary nature of modern, desolate society. <laughs> Staring too much at her smartphones. <laughs> so, that's who she's mentioned in that called Gurdjieff, although the way she sings the word, well... It's Kate. It's Kate. Oh, that's all I'm going to say. It's just Kate. Another spiritual practice that she mentions in the song are whirling dervishes. Because the line, uh, a couple lines after Gurdjieff and Jizu, they build up my body, break me emotionally, it's nearly killing me, but a lovely feeling. The next line is, I love the whirling of the dervishes. Okay, and I'm going to say at that line, I thought she was saying, 
I love the wedding of redemption. I love the wedding of redemption. I love the beauty of very no Do you know, did, did the LP version of this come with actual lyrics, or was it just one of those ones that was their only the record? I am not sure, actually. All right, that's something we'll have to look into. have to look into. By the end of the um, album, find out, because... I have the only version I have of the kick inside is on CD. I don't. I'd have to look at my. Did that come with a lyrics booklet? I'm not sure. Let's see. I actually keep all my (laughs) CDs right up here in this room. Do you want me to look now, or do you want to just bring this up for the next Um, album? No, actually, let's look because I can see the edge of the Sarah Brightman CD there. So I know Bush is somewhere over there. That's right, because you're alphabetized. Because I do alphabetize and all that stuff. I don't know, but when I was list- when I listened to this album for the first time, I had no lyrics to go by. Sure, I was listening to it in the internet age, <laughs> on a cassette tape, mind you, <laughs> but I didn't have any lyrics to go off of. And I thought for the longest time she was singing that I love the wedding of redemption. I don't know why I thought that. It's like whatever. Oh right. It's probably down in my CD books. Okay, never mind. Well, how about this? You, Hello, listeners! This is live recording for you. Yes, it is. Uh, why don't you go into <laughs> talking about all of the uh, things that she said about it while okay. I go get... I've I, actually got a really cool quote. I know where you keep your CDs, so okay. I'll go... All right. What cool. does Kate Bush say about this? Well, I go, this isn't <laughs> even just sound effects, listeners. <laughs> this is real. As real as anything. So as far as things that Kate has said about the song, I've got a really long quote here. This was from the Kate Bush Club newsletter number three, given out on November 1979. And this was retrieved from gaffa.org. But note that it was originally Kate Bush Club newsletter. She says, the idea for heavy people came when I was just sitting one day in my parents' house. I heard the phrase rolling the ball in my head. And I thought that it would be a good way to start a song. So I ran into the piano and played it and got the chords down. I then worked on it from there. It has lots of different people and ideas and things like that in it. And they came to me amazingly easily. It was a bit like Oh England, because in a way so much of it was what was happening at home at the time. My brother and my father were very much involved in talking about Gurdjieff and whirling dervishes. And I was really getting into it too. It was just like plucking out a bit of that and putting it in something that rhymed. And it happened so easily, in a way, too easily. I say that because normally it's difficult to get it all to happen at once. But sometimes it does, and that can seem sort of wrong. Usually, you have to work hard for things to happen. But it seems that the better you get at them, the more likely you are to do something that is good without any effort. And because of that, it's always a surprise when something comes easily. I thought it was important not to be narrow-minded just because we talked about Gurdjieff. I knew that I didn't mean his system was the only way, and that was why it was important to include whirling dervishes and Jesus, because they're strong too. Anyway, in the long run, although somebody might be into all of them, it's really you that does it. They're just the vehicle to get you there. I always felt that heavy people should be a single, but I just had a feeling that it shouldn't be a second single, although a lot of people wanted that. Maybe that's why I had the feeling, because it was to happen a little later, and in fact, I never really liked the album version much because it should be quite loose, you know? It's a very human song. And I think, in fact, every time I do it, it gets even looser. I've danced and sung that song so many times now, but it's still like a hymn to me when I sing it. I do sometimes get bored with the actual words I'm singing, but the meaning I put into them is still a comfort. It's like a prayer. And it reminds me of direction. And it can't help but help me when I'm singing those words. Subconsciously, they must go in. So that's how it all started for her then. It just started as a random idea that she had one day. And she went on over to the piano, got it all down. She was being influenced by her older brother and her dad talking about philosophy. And yeah, she includes not just a reference to Gurdjieff, which we've talked extensively about, but also Jesus. And then she mentions the whirling dervishes. I had to look up what those were because um, I had no idea what they were. Did you find it? I did. You did. And were there lyrics 
Yes. In the CD version. The CD yes. version you have came okay. with lyrics. So probably the LP version did. Yep. Well, c- continue with the whirling dervishes and I'll okay. see if I can find a definitive answer to that. Okay. Now, another reference she makes in the song is to whirling dervishes. I thought whirling dervishes was an amusement park ride of sorts. <laughs> Call me naive. I don't know. Um, it's actually a dance done by Sufi Muslims. So she's got Gurchev, she's got Jesus, she's got whirling dervishes, like she's going all over the place with all sorts of mentioning all sorts of spiritual practices. The whirling dance or Sufi whirling that is proverbially associated with dervishes is best known in the West by the practices, performances of the Mevlevi order in Turkey and is part of a formal ceremony known as the Sama. It is, however, also practiced by other orders. The Sama is only one of the many Sufi ceremonies performed to try and reach religious ecstasy. Majub Fana. I hope I pronounced those correctly. The name of Levi comes from the Persian poet Rumi, who was a dervish himself. This practice, though not intended as entertainment, has become a tourist attraction in Turkey. So it's basically a special dance that you do to help you achieve higher consciousness. Yes, sir. You have your hand up. Original album came with lyrics. Aha! Literally, awesome. the back cover was there. I'm looking here at a, an eBay auction for the original LP uh, British release. So and that's the one with the kite and stuff on the front? Yep. with the And kite. the big eyeball? It, it's got the kite on the kite. <laughs> so the kite on Hang the kite is uh, on the front. And on the back, we have another kite. Uh, and all of the lyrics. Oh, there you go. That makes sense. Hey, awesome. So, yeah, I mean, and essential because as as no doubt you were going into while I was out of the room searching through our numerous binders full of CDs. I have a lot of music. I can't help it. <laughs> it's glorious. Yes, I um, Yes, this both in CD and LP form came with lyrics and I'm going to say that was a good call mm-hmm. because I don't really see Kate as that extreme end of progressive rock where they don't want you to know the lyrics because, well, this is the experience, understanding the music. You need it for feeling. this album. Yeah. She's not at that extreme end where they don't want you to know the lyrics. However. But she definitely needs a It's worth book. noting, though, that um, so on some of her other albums, like The Dreaming, that didn't come with lyrics. Oh boy, you try puzzling that album out. Oh my lord, And The Dreaming lord is lord. where she was getting stoned with Peter Gabriel and writing weird progressive rock. So yeah. I can understand why she wouldn't put out the lyrics, because that's part of the style that mm. she was in at the time. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's like getting a Yes album and expecting it to come with lyrics or something. Yeah. So I have one last quote here about them heavy people. This is from Graham Thompson's book, Under the Ivy, and in the, this is in the section of the book that's talking about the genesis, if you will, of Kate Bush's album, The Kick Inside. He's talking about how her older brother, Jay, was definitely an influence on her work as far as her finding her poetic voice, quote, but Bush was equally as inspired by the big picture, his utter immersion in art and his seeming rejection of the conventional world. His, talking about her brother. In many ways, Jay's pursuits legitimized her own ambitions. Her crucial skill was an innately populist instinct, harnessing some of the energy of her brother's restless intellectual curiosity and giving it a clear purpose and an accessible edge. Who else could have smuggled Joseph Campbell, Willem Reich, and G.I. Gurdjieff into the charts? Just after Bush became famous, some of the press latched onto her interest in Gurdjieff in particular, the Greek-Armenian Sufi mystic and spiritual teacher who died in 1949 and whom she mentioned, perhaps unadvisedly, a number of times in interviews and name-checked on the first album as an inspiration. She was almost certainly introduced to him through Jay, who has often sported a suspiciously extravagant mustache a la Gurdjieff. It's not hard to see and hear threads of Gurdjieff's broad and, to non-adherence, woolly and unconvincing belief system popping up in Bush's work. Music and movement, the sacred dance, were two of his favored methods of imparting his philosophy, 
but perhaps more significantly, one of his central tenets was the belief that mankind lives in an almost automatonic state of permanent waking sleep. He desired that people shake themselves out of their torpor to experience life more fully, to truly connect with their own consciousness and remake the world through their own subjective experience. The ultimate aim of existence is the full development of one's potential to fuse the body, the mind, and the emotions in what was later termed the fourth way. This was clearly inspirational to the young Bush, as she quite specifically relayed in them heavy people. An uncommonly direct thank you to all the teachers who rolled the ball of knowledge and wisdom her way and forced her to look deeper, who read me Gurdjieff and Jisoo and showed her the heaven inside. That was from Graham Thompson's book, Under the Ivy. And I will get to talk with him in a couple episodes. It'll be awesome. It was a good yeah, it was uh, good talk. Uh, I, uh, Kate... Kate being maybe a little over-enthusiastic about a philosophy that's maybe slightly under-explained or yeah. over-explained, that's, um, that, that's not terribly unusual for, say, musicians or any artistic type. I mean, you could even, you can even trace that to, like, modern interviews with Katy Perry getting all philosophical and not quite explaining everything about what she mm -hmm. means, but giving you a feeling of yeah. her emotional and spiritual state. I suppose I should also apologize to all of the Yes fans out there. Apparently, Yes albums did come with lyric notes. I, I was okay. making a general statement about progressive rock being sometimes a little bit odd and mm -hmm. not not wanting to reveal all of its lyrics yeah. so okay you you said for as far as your personal thoughts on the song this I like very it. Cute. I like it. It's it's just I have to be in the mood for it yeah, because it is it is in inarguably Kate. It is it is it is strange. It is experimental. It's everything I like about Kate, but not quite boiled into the full madness of the dreaming which mm -hmm. I, I mean i don't know if i'll be doing songs with you then but i the dreaming is probably one of my preferred kate albums because it links mm -hmm. up so heavily with peter gabriel yeah because of course putting the dream putting sat in your like sequencing so you have sat in your lap with the rhythm of the heat and so on and so forth is a really really awesome playlist to do. yeah so <laughs> maybe because I do think that it for it brings in the um, the reggae sound a lot better than the previous attempts, mm -hmm. and as semi philosophical and borderline naive and warm hearted as the lyrics are, yeah, I like them. I think I that she did a good job here, and it might not be my absolute favorite on the album, but I'd, I'd call it in my top four. Okay, well, and as for me. Um, it was one of the songs that caught my ear the first time I listened through the Kick Inside. Um, my first experience listening to Kick Inside and Them Heavy People was on a cassette tape I got from a thrift store where it was, uh, this album on one side and then a Cyndi Lauper album on the other. I didn't even listen to the Cyndi Lauper side. I listened to the Kate side. This was one of the songs that caught my ear. Like, oh, this is really cool and upbeat. I like the bounciness of it. I, I agree that the reggae-ish vibe, I think, works better on this one. I like the call and response lyrics with the rolling the ball. She says, rolling the ball, rolling, and stuff underneath. I like the call and response. Rolling the ball. That's part of why I part of why I like uh, Delilah because you know the holding on for your call. Because they like a call and response. This continues the theme of 
exploration, figuring out who you are. And she wrote this as a teenager. And aren't we all kind of trying to do that? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Let's see. Like when I was a teenager, I was uh, listening to different kinds of music. I'm not the top 40 of the time. I was dyeing my hair all sorts of interesting shades of red because I like to dye my hair red. I liked going and getting my nails done all the time and doing like different colors on my nails. Like I was doing a lot of exper experimenting with figuring out who I was and she's doing that on this song but just on a spiritual level and figuring out who she is. Uh, as far as the title, um, Them Heavy People, I interpret that as being... Um, people with lots of heavy or big important ideas yeah and I, I think that that is completely borne out by the lyrics so. mm -hmm. and i like the contrasting of them heavy people hit me in a soft spot mm -hmm. i like that like just like the contrast of heavy and soft i think that's a really neat juxtaposition as she did in the lyrics We've already talked about one of them. Yeah, <laughs> Holy so... crap, that trippy thing. Um, she's performed this on a number of TV shows. Yeah. Uh, In... It was part of the Efteling TV mm -hmm. special from the Netherlands, which I remember another one was. Yeah, um, Moving and a couple other... Oh, Strange Phenomena, uh, the song itself. Those performances were all lip-synced, and you can check those out on YouTube. Uh, she also performed this... During her only U.S. TV appearance on Saturday Night Live, she performed The Man with the Child in His Eyes and Them Heavy People. I have yet to find the footage of her doing Them Heavy People. I found the footage of her singing The Man with the Child in His Eyes, which you guys might remember I talked about with Jason Taub in The Man with the Child in His Eyes episode, because that was one of his, that was his first exposure to Kate Bush's music. She also performed it on a show called Saturday Night at the Mill. It was a British TV show in 1978. In that one, she's playing piano and singing while the band is playing behind her. You can take a listen here. Kate Bush. that she performed on was called Revolver and that show was hosted by none other than Peter Cook who if you're listening you're from Britain you're like oh yeah Peter Cook yeah, yeah. if you're not sure who he is he was a British comedian I know him from the movie Bedazzled remember when we watched Bedazzled a couple couple months ago honey do you uh, remember that movie yes um, oh, it was, was the guy who makes a Deal with the, the devil. Yes. Yeah. And he plays the devil. Oh yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So I know him from Bedazzle. Kind of you know interesting, uh, kind of trippy <laughs> British movie from the late sixties. Very psychedelic, man. Well, she performed on Revolver, and the episode she performed on it was her in a like a black and white tuxedo. She even had the tails and everything. She was performing with a band. Nice audience in front of her. Looked like she was maybe a couple, maybe a foot or two off the ground on an elevated stage. And they pan out to the audience. The audience is kind of like bopping along a little bit. You even see a very young Billy Idol in the audience bopping his head to it. Like so many YouTube comments went, 
whoa, is that Billy Idol at timestamp? I went to an, oh yeah, that is young Billy Idol. <laughs> so you can take a listen here to this for that version. So now we take the opportunity. was done during her Christmas 1979 special that you can also find on YouTube like most things these days. That special included her singing several of her other songs like Don't Push Your Foot on the Heartbreak and um, December Will Be Magic Again. Also Peter Gabriel shows up to sing a, an electric piano rendition of his song Here Comes the Flood. Um, so she performs that live during her Christmas special. You can take a listen here. Rolling the ball, rolling the ball, rolling the ball to me. performance that she did of them heavy people was for the tour of life and oh hey guess what that footage was officially released unlike you know the other half of the show as always the footage is on youtube but before youtube hard to believe there was a time before youtube seriously you could get the footage on live at the hammersmith odeon which was released as a Laserdisc and VHS. And in the program on the VHS and the Laserdisc, this was, I believe, the second song performed. However, it was not the second song in the show, because we all know <laughs> they cut out half the show. Uh, honestly, the, the, the performance of this song, she sings it well. I mean, throughout the entire show, she sings remarkably well for dancing around for two and a half hours. I mean, I don't know how you can do that. I'm not a very fit person. But this performance has her wandering around like in a trench coat looking like she's come out of the Maltese Falcon or something like that, <laughs> but complete with frizzy 70s hair. I mean, I'm not sure, honestly, what those visuals had to do with the song. Other than to say, um... Maybe they were interpreting heavy as in, oh yeah, big noir guys? I don't know. The point is, whatever she was trying to convey with the message of the song, <laughs> I think was a little lost in the live version. interesting contrast to the song that came before which was Room for the Life huh. no, that one wasn't released officially and oh it's worth noting that at the beginning of Them Heavy People as Kevin McAlley is doing that pretty flowy piano intro and she's coming out like doing like stuff with her, her pork pie hat and her big trench coat and she starts singing Rolling the Ball 
you see this around red plushy couchy looking thing being rolled off the stage and when I when I first saw the live at the Hammersmith Odeon I wondered okay where did that come from <laughs> and then in college I found a really grainy upload of a Dutch documentary called Kate Bush in Concert which featured interviews with Kate, complete with Dutch subtitles, <laughs> but also there was foot live footage of Room for the Life and some of the other songs that got cut from the official release. And after watching Room for the Life, which came before them heavy people in the show, she was dancing around in this red egg, and we're going to talk about that in the next song. It's oh boy. It made sense why there was a red egg on stage at the beginning of Them Heavy People. Um, so the official version of her doing this on the tour of life was released on VHS. I found also a bootleg of her singing this with Peter Gabriel and Steve Harley, who is a member of Cockney Rebel. They sang together for the Bill Duffield Benefit Concert. Bill Duffield was the lighting engineer for the tour of life, and he died in a, uh, he, he fell through a hole in the stage, and he died a couple days before the tour was supposed to start, and as a, uh, to try and help, uh, help his family, they did a special benefit concert where she did the tour of life, usual set list, but also Peter Gabriel and Steve Harley from Cockney Rebel came out and sang with her. You can take a listen here. I see you have a disco cover. Yes. How oh does my it God. compare to the Japanese disco? <laughs> I like this disco version better. <laughs> Although Let's hearing see. like a mambo-y version of Kate Bush is very interesting. <laughs> this was by Ray Shell.
disco. Oh, I know. That is so disco. That needs to come with glitter. Oh, wow. Okay. So that was my original, that was my ratio. The disco. There's an upbeat pop rock version um, by Zor, Z-O-R-E. You can take a listen here. Rolling the ball, rolling the ball to me. Macedonia, that makes That's sense. right, yep. I, I, I'm going to say again, Crossing. people who don't natively speak English, I think sing this song more clearly than Kate. <laughs> well, it's good, it's good. When I sing in French, I tend to enunciate it pretty well, more than some other French singers, maybe because I'm not a native speaker. I think it fits the song, though. I mean, it doesn't sound mm-hmm. like some, you know, oh, this is some person who doesn't know how to speak English, you know, barely no, getting the song. No, it's, you can understand, it's crisp and clear and everything. I, and I think the song actually does better crisp and clear. Yeah. But anyway, so. Again, the last version is uh, Dude and Piano. <laughs> this is Chris Bastin, the piano and voice. You can take a listen here. I love the of the the beauty of rare innocence. We don't need no crystal ball. Don't fall for a magic wand. We humans got it all. We perform the miracles. So it's a little bit slower than the original, but he he does a, he does a good job, and um, I, I'm trying to think of a way to connect the song to the train set in the background, and I can't. So. Sorry. Yeah, maybe but, it's a kid's place out or something. I don't but know. Yeah, I mean, he, he sings it very well. Mm-hmm. I actually like it with the man singing. It's well yeah, done. and I do too. I like hearing I like hearing guys singing her songs. Since, as I've pointed out before, Kate's songs are hard to sing for a girl. Yeah, and it, it but it kind of shows the universality of a lot mm-hmm. of her lyrics. That anyone can sing them and, you know... It's still going to sound great. Yeah, you don't even have to mess with pronouns. They're just exactly. They're just good songs. Exactly. So. Are you feeling we've hit you in a soft spot, honey? Have we helped you? Oh, hit me so hard. That's just... I'm, Did I'm I just... hit you too hard with the ball that I rolled to you? Rolling the ball, rolling the ball to I, me. I just, just got to go lay down for a little while. <laughs> this is okay. so, so heavy. This is really on my mind. Well it, it, well, it has been a long day of work. So... So, um... in conclusion here, if you're listening to the podcast and you're enjoying what I'm doing... And you want to be on a future episode where you can talk about your favorite songs. Or if you just want to talk about how much your music means to you and you want to chat with a fellow fan, please feel free to email me, kbcast at linkmedia.com. You can also find me on Facebook, facebook.com slash katebushpodcast. And also I'm on Twitter at strangekatecast. I want to hear from people! That's why I want to do this. I want to meet other Kate fans and we can share our love of her music and show just how much her music has meant to so many people, including a little young American like me. (laughs) Yep. Well, it's been fun. And thank you so much for being on the show today. Anytime. Yay.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 